Welcome to the Coach and Doc podcast, hosted by Coach Chris Cutcliffe and Dr. Hunter Taylor. Our mission is to bring you insight from the best of the best in the coaching profession. If you'd like to learn more about the work we do at Coach and Doc, please visit our website, www.coachanddoc.com. Hey, everyone. Uh, welcome to tonight's conversation on youth sports in America. I'm Dr. Hunter Taylor from the University of Mississippi, and I'm joined in moderating this event by Oxford School District's coach, Chris Cutcliffe. Our featured guest is Mallory Polster, advisor to the President's Council on Sports, Fitness, and Nutrition, as well as advisor for the National Youth Sports Strategy that we will talk about in just a bit. Mallory, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, now, before we dive into tonight's discussion, I wanted to offer some context into how tonight's event fits into a larger mission for the state of Mississippi in the arena of amateur athletics. So a little over a year ago, myself, the executive director of the Mississippi Association of Coaches, Johnny Mims, and Mary Leach, a director of outreach for the University of Mississippi, launched a statewide initiative for a select group of coaches called the Mississippi Excellence in Coaching Fellowship. The MHSAA then joined as a partner, and an initial gift was made by the Sturdivant family, who is actually tonight's sponsor as well. Jackson area sports writer Woody Woodrick then coined the program Tomorrow's 25, since its mission is to annually invest in 25 of our best high school and middle school coaches from across the state. And we believe through a sustained effort that student athletes, school districts, and communities across our state will be positively impacted for the better by this program. Tonight marks the start of us also getting more formally involved in the world of youth sports. And after a few of us from the fellowship got to listen and meet Mallory at a summit this summer on Capitol Hill, we thought more people needed to hear her message. So, Mallory, would you mind giving your background and information about your current roles? Sure, absolutely. So, hello, everyone. My name is Mallory Polster, and I'm a physical activity advisor at the Office of Disease Prevention and Health Promotion, or ODPHP, within the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, or HHS. And in this role, I wear many different hats. Um, my work includes the development and implementation of policies like the National Youth Sports Strategy and the Physical Activity Guidelines for Americans, supporting the President's Council on Sports, Fitness, and Nutrition, and serving as a subject matter expert for the promotional campaign for the Physical Activity Guidelines, Move Your Way. Um, I have a background um, in physical activity and public health. I have a master of public health degree in behavioral sciences and health education from Emory University's Rollins School of Public Health and a Bachelor of Science in Kinesiology from the College of William & Mary. And I also have a personal interest in physical activity and sports. When I'm not working, I'm an avid soccer player and a volunteer soccer coach. Yeah, that's awesome. So it's, it's I'm really excited about tonight. It's been uh, great to to meet you here virtually. I've heard a lot about you from Hunter. Um, so I, I just wanted to ask first, what exactly is the National Youth Sports Strategy? Yeah, so the National Youth Sports Strategy was developed by HHS um, with the vision that one day all youth will have the opportunity, motivation, and access to play sports. And the strategy itself is really a roadmap um, full of best practices that those involved in youth sports can leverage to help make sure that sports are safe, fun, inclusive, developmentally appropriate, and accessible for all youth. And the bulk of the strategy is really organized around this framework that's based on the social ecological model. So 
It kind of describes factors at the ind individual level related to the youth themselves, um, the interpersonal level. So focusing in on the adults who interact with youth, like parents, coaches, volunteers, and then at those higher levels, kind of the organizational community and public policy roles. And the reason I share this is not to go all public health theory on you, but just to emphasize that we recognize that it's going to take collaboration across different levels and sectors of society to improve the youth sports landscape in the United States, and that we really do all have a role to play in this effort. So whether you're a parent, a coach, a school administrator, maybe you represent a nonprofit or an academic institution, the National Youth Sports Strategy has actions that you can take and you can be able to see kind of where you fit into this effort. Yeah, so you really, you know, kind of touched on this a little bit, you know, but why would our popular, like, why would the general public be interested in the National Youth Sports Strategy? Why is it more than just, like you said, kind of a public health, you know, um, you know, bureaucratic, something that maybe doesn't affect the general public? Why should the general public be interested in this? Yeah, absolutely. Well, first, you know, I know that so many people, we, we all feel touched by youth sports in our lives as a participant, as a volunteer, um, but there really is a huge public health impact as well. So helping make sure that kids have access to youth sports and positive experiences participating in sports is an important part of creating healthy kids and healthy communities overall. So our office leads the Healthy People Initiative and Healthy People 2030 sets data-driven national objectives to improve the health and well-being over the next decade. And through Healthy People, the federal government has set a national objective to increase the proportion of children and adolescents who play sports. And so the most recent data show that participation is at about 50.7%. And so the target for 2030 is 63%. And recently, the Aspen Institute led an analysis to see what would the impact be if we hit that 63%. And what they found was that there would be 2.3 million fewer children with overweight or obesity, $23 billion saved in medical costs, and 1.4 million additional quality years of life. And that's obviously powerful. But even beyond those estimates on a more personal level, I really think it's the physical, mental, emotional, and social health benefits that youth sports can provide that are really a huge reason to care about this topic. Just curious, like when you're talking about like these actionable strategies, this is kind of a supplemental question to what we started before, but can you kind of give some examples of some of these actionable strategies that are for the general public, you know, that you see maybe a local parks commission do or something like that to increase participation? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'll share a couple, but I will also add that, you know, any, all the resources I share today and more information about our office is all available on health.gov. It's a pretty easy website to remember, but so if you're interested in learning more about the strategy, reading all the strategies listed in there, we actually call them action items because they're all verbs. Like this is something you can do. Um, and there are over 50 across the different levels. So encourage people to kind of explore those, um, but they can vary from the different levels. So let's say it's youth themselves. Maybe it's encouraging youth to play different sports so they can find what they enjoy. Um, if it's for 
you know, coaches, maybe it is emphasizing fun over competition during practices and games. Um, if it's more at the organizational level, could have to do more with recruitment and retention of coaches. Um, are you recruiting coaches that reflect the demographics of the youth you're trying to serve? Um, then thinking more community level, a lot of this has to do with transportation and access. Um, are there safe and inclusive spaces for kids to play? This could be shared use agreements, um, things of that nature. And then kind of going all the way up to the community and policy is just making sure we're promoting the benefits of sports and creating more opportunities for kids to engage. But um, like I said, over 50, so encourage people to explore them. Absolutely. So like I know, I think Chris and I have this discussion with a lot of people or you encounter folks having this discussion. There's like these old stigmas sometimes with youth sports or sports in general where it's like, well, this type of kid works well for youth sports and, and then it's not for this type of kid. And mm -hmm. I guess the, can you kind of outline, outline just talking about the benefits of physical activity and sports and sampling both short-term and long-term for our kids? Absolutely. And also I think the first part of that question about, you know, who is an athlete is so important and this comes into play with youth and it also comes into play with adults and when people think about physical activity what they picture in their mind is usually exercise or very vigorous forms of physical activity and it's not you know taking a dog for the walk or um carrying groceries up the stairs you know so much counts as physical activity and for kids and adults, you know, sports are one way to get physical activity and sports are a lot of fun. Um, and sports should be something that is offered to anyone, you know, regardless of their body size, um, their gender. And we really need to check our biases when we're thinking about what we say to kids about is this is a sport for girls or a sport for boys or a kid having a certain body size, maybe pushing them into a certain sport or a certain position within a sport. We really need to check those unconscious biases to help ensure that kids are driving. What are they interested in participating um, and finding what works for them? So that's just an aside, but I do love talking about all of the benefits that physical activity and sports can provide. Um, and starting with the physical activity, the benefits of physical activity, um, those include improved cardiorespiratory and muscular fitness, improved weight status, improved bone and heart health, improved cognition, reduced risk of depression, and reduced depressed mood. And what's really cool is that some of these benefits can happen immediately after a single bout of physical activity. So for example, for kids, performance on academic achievement tests, processing speed, and memory can improve immediately after a session of moderate to vigorous physical activity. So through sports, kids can be gaining these physical activity related benefits. But then on top of that, we know that sports can provide additional benefits. So these are the benefits that relate to those psychosocial skills like teamwork and leadership and some of those life skills like goal setting and work ethic. And sports participation has also been associated with improved grades as well, better confidence and self-esteem, and reduced risk of suicide. Um, and then when we're talking about, you know, lifelong participation in sports and physical activity, 
sports, especially for younger youth, that's helping kids build that physical literacy. So they are learning to move in different ways and really developing the ability, confidence, and desire to be physically active for life. Before we keep going with this important interview, we wanted to take a moment to thank one of our sponsors, the University of Mississippi School of Education. Led by Dean David Rock, the School of Ed has a mission to prepare and engage reflective professionals who create, use and share knowledge in partnership with individuals and communities to serve Mississippi and beyond. We're thankful the School of Ed sees the Mississippi Excellence and Coaching Fellowship as a part of that mission. To learn more about the SOE, please visit their website at education.olemiss.edu. Chris wears a lot of these hats that I'm getting ready to bring up. We're going to talk about the K-12 setting. Um, and most, I think, that are listening are involved in K-12, have a child in K-12. Um, and, you know, there are a lot of coaches in this, in the fellowship that was mentioned before, that are not just sports coach, but they're also thinking through from an institution, how can they give more opportunities to middle and high and elementary school kids that might not play for the varsity team, but like, other opportunities. So why should K-12 schools take this data, your research seriously? How can they plan accordingly? Yeah. Well, in schools, there are a lot of competing priorities. Um, and for people who work there, I know they're balancing a lot and physical activity and youth sports can sometimes take a back seat, but they are so important for the wellness of students and teachers and a lot of the benefits of school-based physical activity are especially relevant for schools like improved attention, better mood and memory, better grades, improved classroom behaviors, fewer absences. You know, these benefits are very relevant for schools. And as we know, kids spend a lot of their time in school. So there's a huge opportunity for schools to be engaged in this effort to promote physical activity. Um, Right now, the data are not where we want them to be. Um, the most recent federal data show that only 16% of high school students meet the physical activity guidelines. Um, and youth sports participation has gone down in the past few years. So schools can really help by providing more opportunities for physical activity before, during, and after school, and engaging with the community too. So. A school's efforts could range from, you know, what are the intramural sports and club offerings that they have or classroom physical activity breaks and active lesson plans um, to shared use agreements of recreational facilities and helping to create spaces for physical activity when school is not in session. We're talking about this. I know it's focused on youth, but one thought of, in my own mind, you've got to have thoughts about this. Um the adults in the building too. How important is that to try and plan and, uh, uh, and and foster that into their lives as well? When when you're a teacher, when you're an administrator, when you're a part of any organization, of why of what physical activity does for you? Absolutely. Um, you know, when I said physical activity and sports are important for students and teachers. That's not just because it might help the students' behavior in the classroom, but it's right, important for the teachers themselves and not only for their health and well-being, but also 
making a community across the school um, that is a more active community and role modeling that behavior so that students are looking up to their teachers or their coaches who are modeling those healthy habits um, is really important as well. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. A school administrator who's who's been a mentor to me that is retired now, but has had a really long career in public education and worn a lot of different hats, been a principal, been a coach, been an athletics director, been, you know, in a lot of different roles. He always said, you know, it's kind of anecdotal evidence, but for him, the number one predictor of of student achievement over his 40-year career was involvement in some type of extracurricular activity, right? And so um, I, th- I think it's huge. So can you talk a little bit, I guess, you know, digging deep into this, um, specifically, let's focus on girls' participation in sports. Um, can you talk a little bit about what you've uncovered about girls' participation in sports? Yeah. Well, I mentioned that, you know, the recent federal data that about half children and adolescents participate in sports. But if you go ahead and break this down by gender, you'll find that 43 point or sorry, 53.4% of males participate compared to 48% of females. And research shows that girls drop out of sports at a rate up to three times higher than their male peers. And so this drop-off is happening kind of between that eighth and 12th grade. So during high school, as grade level goes up, participation is going down. And there are also really, really stark disparities um, in participation based on family income, race and ethnicity, and disability status. So when you compare by family income, almost 70% of youth from higher income households participate in sports compared to about 30% of youth from lower income households. And about 59% of white youth participate compared to about 42% of black or African-American youth, 42% of native Hawaiian and other Pacific Islander youth, and 40% of Hispanic or Latino youth. And only about 38% of youth with disabilities participate in sports. And you asked me about girls' participation, and I've shared all these disparities because whole people fall into more than one demographic group, right? So when you consider the intersectionality piece, like what unique barriers is a girl with a disability from a low-income household facing to accessing youth sports? So I think it's really important to consider those intersecting identities. And obviously there's a lot of data there. Um, If you are interested in kind of exploring the different data and and sorting the youth sports participation by different demographic groups, um, that's also something you can do through looking at the Healthy People 2030 objective on youth sports participation. So like everything, you can you can find that information on health.gov, but health.gov slash healthy people if you want to get closer to that youth sports objective. So, you know, kind of like before, um, what, why, why should the general public really take an interest in this, right? Why is it more than just, um, just statistics and data that, that you're accumulating? Why should the general public be interested in, in these demographic figures and the participation numbers? Well, I think, you know, translating, what does that mean? So if not all youth are having the same opportunity to participate in sports, and then there's then varying participation rates across demographic groups. That means that what we have is an unequal access to the health and psychosocial and academic benefits of youth sports participation. So it's really, it's an equity issue. Um, and 
thinking about the benefits and the, the changes to our health and our academic achievement, like you said, and the anecdotal story, but looking at that and seeing how are we making it through youth sports to give some kids advantages over others. Um, so I think it's just, it's so important as an equity issue. So anything um, that you could suggest maybe as some potential solutions that that schools or youth programs um, could do to address these pain points? Definitely. Um, the first, I think, relates to coaching, um, which I mentioned this earlier, but really practicing culturally relevant recruited, recruiting. So looking for individuals who already live in the community who share demographic characteristics with the participants so they can really see a role model and someone that looks like them. Um, also training coaches to better serve different populations, whether that is adapting programs to be more inclusive of youth with disabilities or different strategies to better engage girls, especially in those high school years. Um, another, I think, is really trying to reduce the cost barriers for participants. Um, we know that's a major barrier and continues to be for many families. So anyways, through partnerships, sponsorships, grants, any ways that programs can help provide some reduction on the cost, whether that's a stipend or a scholarship or a fee waiver, or even just direct support to families can really help improve the access there. And then of course, every community is different. So I really think one of the best ways you can help improve access is by understanding the needs of your community, including what resources you can leverage and also what barriers are preventing youth from engaging in your program. So consider a partnership like with a university, a hospital or a health department to be able to conduct a community needs assessment or an evaluation of your activities. And that can really help you understand what changes you need to make to better meet the needs of more kids. So for example, maybe cost is not the issue for your program. Maybe there are kids who are interested in what you're offering and you're providing the programming for free, um, but they don't have a safe, accessible transportation option to get there. So then if transportation is the issue, maybe it's reconsidering the location of your programming, or maybe you're thinking of other strategies to reach kids where they are. Um, I've heard of, you know, parks and rec departments with mobile sports vans that go and drive around to different parks in the community to bring sports equipment directly to kids and families where they are. Um, but so I really encourage that assessment and evaluation piece to figure out what is the change that needs to be made um, before you kind of put your resources in that direction. Um, and then lastly, if you are looking for something simple that you can do right away, um, Schools and youth programs can just help spread the word about the importance of physical activity and youth sports. Um, the Move Your Way campaign is the promotional campaign for the physical activity guidelines. And there are over 80 free resources like fact sheets, posters, and videos. They're all available in English and Spanish that you can share with parents, with teachers, um, hang them in schools about the importance of physical activity and youth sports. And these were materials that were tested with parents that 
motivate parents to want to get their kids involved in new sports. So for example, one of our videos is showing how sports skills can translate into life skills. And you kind of see that transition from what they're learning on the field to how that's going into the classroom or how that's helping them to work with their little brother or things like that. So these materials were tested to kind of promote the benefits that really get parents to want to sign their kids up for sports. The Mississippi Excellence in Coaching Fellowship is thrilled to have several prominent Mississippi businesses see the value in investing in our state's coaches. And we want to thank two of our biggest supporters, the Skelly's Furniture and Primo's Cafe. With a vision of becoming the South's most beloved furniture store, coupled with a core value of serving with excellence, the Skelly's Furniture is one of Mississippi's most prominent brands. To learn more about their story and see their offerings, please visit their website, theskellies.com. And it's hard to discount the role that sharing a meal together does for fostering community. Primo's Cafe is a restaurant group that ultimately aims to do just this by providing delicious meals that Mississippians have enjoyed for decades. To learn more about their story and see their menus and locations, go to primoscafe.com. So just kind of one follow-up question on this. Um, what does it, you know, when we look at the benefits that come from participation in sports, what exactly does participation mean in, in those statistics and that data? So is that, is there a certain threshold? Is it like once a week? Is it being a part of a formal team or, you know, is there like a clear definition of what participation means? I guess is what I'm getting at. Yes, that's a great question. So, um, for the overall participation numbers that we are looking at, it's from the National Survey of Children's Health. And they, their question is that your child participated in a sports, um, sports team or took sports lessons. Um, so that's the language used. So it, it may not exactly be, you know, a team setting. Um, but there is a lot of different research out there um, because, of course, different sports and different environments um, might foster some team building or, you know, individual goal setting or things like that better than others. But really what I think is the biggest key is that the benefits of youth sports participation are not automatic. You know, you don't sign up for this sports club and then, great, I'm going to be a good leader and I'm going to know how to work together as a team, right? It depends on the youth sports experience and these um, lessons, whether they be the life skills or the psychosocial skills, they can be intentionally coached. So I think this is also a role of a coach in an organization to make sure that, you know, that's a part of their programming is intentionally teaching some of these skills, whatever the sport environment may be. Yeah, you've got our brains churning now because like each thing that you're at, you, you bring up a point and you're like, oh my gosh, we've had a conversation about this and uh, now we get a chance to talk to you. So we want to ask these things. Um, so what are your thoughts on the travel youth sports culture across the country? And this is more of a, just your general views. Yeah. Well, so, you know, I think cost, as we've been discussing is a barrier and, as travel requirements come into play, costs tend to increase. In addition to the financial costs, there's a time cost, right? There's a big time commitment associated with travel that can be a huge barrier for families. 
that are trying to balance the sports commitments with other activities, um, with employment, with family responsibilities, with sports for other kids. Um, that I know you all know, as I'm sure so many people are, our parents or have dealt with this. Um, but I think the key here is one, how is the program helping families overcome some of those challenges? And two, if the kids are left out because of travel or cost, is there another option for them? And I think what we've seen often is that there is not. And what we need to have is a system where there are options a variety of options for kids to participate at a range of levels. And, you know, when we talk about our youth sports culture overall, we really want to shift the emphasis to maximizing participation and to teaching those life skills through sports rather than driving youth towards elite competition. And when we are then focusing on our goal is maximizing participation that includes having a range of program offering offerings for kids, including those that want a very competitive environment and those who are seeking a more recreational environment and kind of everything in between. Yeah, because I was getting ready to say, of like, just hearing your background, I, I'm willing to bet you're an achiever. And so <laughs> like, to balance that out between maximum participation, but then also wanting to test the student athlete to test the participant, you know, to uh, a higher level of competition to see how they deal with adversity more where if they were in this other league, they might not have as much competition. Any thoughts on that balancing those two? I think it's about um, like developmentally appropriate competition and programming. And so for example, you know, personally as a coach of a, recreational youth soccer team. Um, we have a lot of kids who are trying soccer for the first time. And sometimes we play against teams that are clearly participating, have a lot more experience, are in other teams as well. And they're just, just, just destroying us, right? <laughs> in these games. It's not fun for my team. It's also not challenging the team that's destroying us. They're not improving their skills at all. Um, and so we try to make those changes like, okay, we're going to swap some players or we're going to add more players on our side of the field because across the program and across the coaches, we have an understanding that our goal is the development of the kids. Like we don't care if we're changing teams or if we're changing the rules to make it an environment in which both teams are better situated to develop. So I think putting kids in programs that are challenging to them, you know, regardless of level, right. It could be a very recreational program that's challenging to someone um, who's new to the sport. So I think we we're wanting kids to learn. We're wanting to see that improvement, that skill building, but just finding the right level. All right. What about sports specialization? Okay. Any benefits or drawbacks that you've uncovered? And if there is, or if there are any benefits, is there an appropriate age for kids to do this? Mm -hmm. So when we talk about sports specialization, what we're really needing to focus on is the goal of helping kids stay in sport. Like this is where we have the dropout discussion because youth who focus on a single sport during adolescence 
can have an increased likelihood of experiencing psychological stress and injury, both of which are going to contribute to burnout. And additionally, intense training can lead to overuse injuries, and that can also cause early dropout and limit future sports participation overall. On the other hand, sports sampling instead of sports specialization can help youth avoid injuries, stress, and burnout. And sports sampling over sports specialization is especially important for kids under the age of 12. So that's the age there. Um, and sports sampling really means participating in multiple sport and recreational activities with no single sport played exclusively for more than 10 months during the year. So that doesn't mean that sports sampling doesn't mean your kid's not finishing the season or that they're trying something new every day. This is just about not exclusively playing one sport at all times, right? And I personally love recommending sports sampling to adults. Like it's so much fun. I eat, sleep and breathe soccer, but it's still so much fun for me to go try and play basketball or volleyball or even learn a completely new sport. And you hear that from so many professional athletes that played many sports as a kid and still enjoy playing many sports. I think it helps us appreciate even more the, the main sport that we love. Um, so yeah, big fan of sports sampling. So kind of along those same lines, like if you're looking at a youth sports season, like what's the appropriate time frame for for a sports season to last in the youth level? Um, I think, I mean, my experience has been that most sports go seasonally, even if kids are continuing to participate you know, in more than one season and there's, there's not that much break in between. Um, I'm not familiar with that many sports teams that like have a, a very extended season, but I would, I would just, you know, defer to kind of the sports sampling rule of, you know, doing, making sure that there's not one single sport played exclusively for more than 10 months during the year. And if the length of the season is, is, kind of breaking that rule, then I would definitely consider that. All right. So like as a, as a parent or maybe as a coach, um, when is it appropriate? Like if we talk about sports sampling and, and the positive experience, you know, and all of these things, when is it appropriate to let a participant quit um, the sport that they're doing? You know, what, and that's, you know, probably not easy to answer just, you know, black and white, but, but when, when is it appropriate to let someone quit? Yeah, that's a good question. I think understanding the why is really important because when we're talking about kids dropping out of sports and wanting to quit, we might have assumptions about why they're wanting to quit. Maybe we thought, oh, they didn't like the sport or, oh, I could tell they weren't, they weren't as at the level of competition they needed to be. But maybe it was actually that other kids were being mean to them or, you know, like there are so many different um, reasons why kids could drop out of sport um, or want to quit. So I think it's important to have the conversation to, you know, better understand the reason why your kid is wanting to drop out and, um, and what they might want to do instead. Um, maybe they need to take a season off and that's going to bring back their joy for the sport. They want to do something else. I know, you know, from, the health lens and the physical activity lens, we 
I don't care how you're meeting the guidelines as long as you're getting your physical activity. And so, you know, if they realize that this one sport is not what they like to do, but they have another way that they want to try to get active, I think making sure that what's next, then what's the other way that we're going to get this physical activity in and eventually find something that the kid enjoys. Cause if there's a reason they're wanting to quit, they're not having fun. It might be that they don't like the coach or it might be that the kids are mean, or it might be that they're stressed out because they're burning out and they've played it too much. It could be a variety of things, but something's causing them to not have fun. So I think finding the sport that is bringing them joy or the sport or activity that's bringing them joy um, is what's going to be sustainable. It's not going to sustain lifelong participation and joy if they're not having fun, but they're forced to stay in it. Any recommendations for parents or mentors uh, as they have like these post-game, post-practice conversations with their child or their mentee? Anything that you would that you would offer as advice to somebody like that? Absolutely. Um, well, I think coaches, they're so key to creating that environment, like we said, and act- actively teaching these skills. Um I think, you know, we talk about making having fun the focus and promoting learning and development, um, but there's so much that you can do to help change that culture. I know for me last season, when I, I missed a game and I came to the next practice and a player was there early. Um, so we were chatting and I asked, how'd you play? And she said, we won three, one. And I said, I didn't ask for the score. I asked how you played. And she had to like reset and then give me her assessment of like her effort level. And if she did the things in the game that we had practiced and, you know, it's such a small thing, but I think it's a good example that you were really the one that can set the standard for what success looks like and help shift the culture to one that celebrates effort and learning over, you know, an outcome or a score and making sure that those kids feel like you're seeing them when they're making improvements or working hard. Um, I also think, you know, making sure you structure practices and games to give more participants time being physically active is important um, because we obviously, we talk about the benefits of physical activity, but if your players are spending most of the time standing in long lines or they're sitting on the sidelines or they're listening to you explain a drill for 15 minutes, they're probably not getting as much physical activity as you think. You might think, oh, we practiced for an hour. They got their 60 minutes. A lot of times, no. So I think really being intentional about keeping the kids moving, um, it's obviously good for their health. And especially with younger youth, it's going to make things much easier for you as a coach. Um, one of the coaches I work with, especially with like first through third graders, she tells everyone, okay, everyone bring it in, bring it in. And then she just runs away and they're all chasing her. And she runs around the field until she thinks they're enough tired out. And then she stops and they all bring it in and they take a knee and they like, listen to every word that she has to say. Um, so it's, it's such minor things, but like, I know too, that with my players, I'm only going to have their attention for 20 seconds. So I'm going to get the drill started, get the game moving, and I'll pause every few minutes to clarify a rule or give a coaching tip. Um, and I think it's important to be flexible. Um, you may have something planned and then you're starting the drill and you see how things are going. And you're just like, these kids are 
sitting on the side for too long. Like they're not getting, maybe we need to make the space bigger or maybe we need to add another station. And if you don't feel like you have the bandwidth to oversee different activities at the same time, um, you could even just, if we're working with one group on something specific, another group could have unstructured playtime. Like they can create their own game. You know, this is one of those ways that you're instilling creativity, like problem solving. How are they working together to decide what they're going to play? Um, you know, if they're making up their own game, who's taking the lead? Um, so things like that are really simple. It doesn't take any effort from you, but you're giving them the space to develop those social relationships. Um, so yeah, focusing on the fun through those, you know, small culture change things. Um, also engaging kids in more physical activity. And then I would say engage your participants and their voice and what they want to do. Um, so, you know, you always go ahead with your plan. Um, you know, a lot of coaches do, we've put a lot of thought into it, practice what we want to do. And then you get to practice and the kids want to do something else. You know, I think it's really important to make sure that their input is a part of your process and you're seeing what's fun for them and what they like to do and what they think they need to work on. And that could be something informal, like creating some time for reflection before or after games. Like what is your personal goal for today? Like what is a team goal for today? Or it could be something more formal where you have some set time for like a, a youth listening session or, you know, especially at the organizational level, if you want to hear from participants through a youth advisory council or something like that. I think engaging the youth voice in the decision-making is so important. Um, and then I would also just add, you know, take advantage of the great coaching resources out there. There are so many resources and trainings to help coaches and volunteers gain skills and confidence. Even if we know a sport well, there's so much that we can learn as coaches like, you know, how do I incorporate those positive youth development elements into my programs or like, how can I better support the mental health of my team? Um, how can I make my programming more inclusive? I just think, you know, continuing to build these skills as a volunteer can really help you create the best possible experience for your players and keep them engaged year after year, because, we really, it's the get them in sport and then keep them in sport, right? We want to open the door so they have the access. And then what is it like when they actually walk through that door? So I think just the, the role of the coach and the mentor in creating that positive experience cannot be understated. We wanted to interrupt this interview one last time to thank one more partner who has been instrumental in supporting this particular strand of the coaching fellowship that is devoted towards youth sports. The Oxford Park Commission has a mission to improve the quality of life for its citizens by providing top-notch youth sports opportunities. They are in complete alignment with what we're trying to do with the Mississippi Excellence and Coaching Fellowship, and we can't thank them enough for their support. To learn more about the OPC, please visit their website, Oxford Park Commission. Com. So you just touched on retention. So here's a retention question for you. And I know that this also goes back to uh, your, your findings also. I know you mentioned it from uh, a girl's perspective where 
you know, I thought it was like from eighth grade to 12th grade mm-hmm. is when you start seeing a really uh, an increase in, in departing from athletics of some sort. But it could also be for, for both boys and girls on this mm-hmm. one. Are there any stories or case studies you're aware of for like when a student, when you get into high school and it's competitive, right? And, and we have great programs all across the country. We have great programs here in Mississippi where – you know, a, a student is, we're, you're trying to get a slot on the varsity and they don't make the varsity. What are some appropriate options to keep them still engaged in sports somehow that you've heard of or seen? Yeah, well, I think um, that is one of the challenges, right, is that kids age out in a way and that it gets too competitive and either they don't make the team or they didn't even want to try out. Because they're like, or maybe they haven't been playing their whole life and they're definitely not going to have their first time playing the sport, be at a tryout in front of all their peers. You know, so there are just so many barriers to when it gets to that level of competition, if if that's the only offering. And I think that's the the struggle is that if there isn't another program or option, what what is there? What are the other options? And I think that's where you know, what other clubs does the school offer? You know, there are so many, you know, extracurricular nonprofits out there that are offering a variety of sports programs at a more recreational level. So how can you connect to those in the community? Um, But I think, you know, this is a big part of assessing the needs and interests of students. You know, maybe it's a new sport at the school that, no one has played before um, or that isn't as common that more kids might be able to pick up later in life and feel more confident about. Um, So whether it's finding a recreational option for the sport that they didn't make the team um, or is there another sport that could be offered? Um, Is there is there access to the fields at certain times where kids could play pickup and, you know, just be able to play the sport for fun? You know, I think there's, it's a a system wide challenge. And so, you know, if you get into that place where there is no other option for that, that child, that's, that's not where we want to be. Right. We, We want to at an organizational and community level, set things up in a way where that kid does have an alternative. Yeah. We've tried to address that in, at our school a little bit and um, with some intramural programming, but we've had a lot more success to be honest with um, interest at younger ages than we have, you know, trying to to get those um, high schoolers who haven't made a varsity team. Um, you know, so that's something definitely a challenge for schools everywhere, I think. Um, but kind of going back to the rec league idea, um, what advice would you give to uh, a volunteer? It could be a parent or a mentor, somebody who was going to volunteer to coach rec league sports, right? What would be just a you know couple of things that you would really give them advice that you need to focus on this? I think most people who have not coached before are very worried about at a recreational level about not knowing enough about the sport. Um, And I think most people who've coached at a recreational level know that that's actually not the biggest, once you start coaching, you realize, oh, I wish I knew this. I wish I knew this. And this had nothing to do with the sport at all. You know, this has to do with 
encouraging the kids and um, help making sure they're paying attention and making sure they're treating their teammates with respect and treating the other teams with respect. You know, I think sometimes people can feel overwhelmed or underprepared um, and think it's about, I need to spend my time um, looking up how professionals train for this sport or, or things like that. And I actually would really recommend just like looking for coaching resources um, that more relate to, you know, positive youth development and developmentally appropriate programming. Um, Cause you can definitely find drills that are, or practices pre-made practice plans that are like designed for your age group and ready to go. I think probably the biggest pitfall would be, you know, looking up some sort of elite level professional and trying to apply it um, in the same way to your participants. Um, but there, there are so many great resources out there. Um, so just encourage you to look in that direction, um, finding the right, right options for your age group. Um, and then, just kind of being flexible. Like I said, if it's not working, change it in the middle of the practice. You could have planned a drill and you looked it up online and they said it was going to work and your kids are clearly not having fun. Like we want them engaged. We want them having fun. We want them working hard. So just be flexible and willing to adjust as needed. Putting it back on the institution now. Okay. So like the local park, commission that's running the rec league how would you how would you recommend that they train their volunteers so somebody that agrees to be a first-time seven-year-old soccer coach or a nine-year-old flag football coach and they might not know a lot about the sport specific and that stuff they can look up mm -hmm. what are like two or three things though that you would be I guess maybe more explicit about them yeah I think at an institutional level, um, organizations feel they have, they have struggled to just recruit volunteers at all. Right. And so they are, well, how can I, people don't have the time to do these trainings. I can't require that much of them. I can barely get them to volunteer at all. Um, and I think that's a huge challenge. And then you might have volunteers on the other side saying, I wish they gave me more training. I feel unprepared. Um, so I think, giving a range of offerings so that there is, you know, whether it's we're having this one meeting in person and it's a training, but then there's also something that you can watch online um, at a time that's better for you, or, you know, it's during some sort of event that the kids have to be with and the parents are already there. So you can have a talk with the parents and train any of the parents that want to um, be coaches, I think figuring out the way to offer it, um, that, that can be flexible. So people who are able to take the time and, and the training are able to participate. Um, but then I also think just kind of the, the bite-size snacks along the way. Um, I know a lot of programs will send out, maybe there's like a weekly lesson plan, um, of here's, some drills you could do or things to focus on. And they, they often have tips in them related to the sport. Um, so it might say the drill and then 
obviously I'm soccer. So maybe the coaching tips are like eyes up, dribble with pinky toe. Like it might have a few bullets, right? But then also having those minor tips as like, here are some quality coaching tips overall that aren't related to the sport. I think if you put all the training in all at once, beginning of the season, that when everyone is starting up their fall or their spring and they're really busy and they're going to need to click through, right? You're not going to get to, some people are, are going to skim right through it or um, go right past it. But I think consistently throughout these programs to be offering those tips and trainings to coaches um, is really valuable. And I think just making sure they go beyond the specific sport and that they do pull from some of the wonderful resources out there, um, just any tips or best practices related to, you know, fostering those benefits that we want to see. Mallory, this was such a gift. I mean, thank you so much for joining us on this and just being so generous with your time and your expertise. Yeah, thank you so much. It's been really great. Thank you for having me. Um, And please feel free to share my contact information with anyone who's on um, the event. Uh, We definitely want to connect with people and get these resources out there um, and just really appreciate you all having me on. And for those watching, uh, we plan on transferring this into podcast form on our platform, Coaching Doc. Uh, But please, please share this with your neighbors, your friends, your family. I can't tell you how many conversations we have on the regular about this specific topic. And this is an important one that touches all of our communities and we want to get it right. Uh, Finally, if you feel inclined to support the coaches involved in the Mississippi Excellence and Coaching Fellowship at the University of Mississippi, please look us up online or you can also email me at hunterallentaylor at gmail.com if you'd like as well. But thanks a bunch for listening and good night. Thank you so much for listening to the Coach and Doc podcast. We know there are a lot of podcasts out there, so we're grateful that you chose us. If you'd like to learn more about the work that we do, please visit our website, www.coachandoc.com.